At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I think we've had 72 hours worth of conversations. Um, you know, clearly, we haven't gotten anything of significance over the finish line, uh, but we're, we're, we're working on it. Um, we continue to... Uh, to you know, feel good about the progress we're making in some of our discussions. We also feel good about some of the, the acquisitions we have been able to make um, around the, the edges of our roster, um, guys that will inevitably really help us over the course of, of the 2024 season. Um, and, and we've got a lot of off-season left to go, and we'll keep working at it. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, December the 8th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on X at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG, and... The newsletter, substack.com slash at G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as risingapple.com. Uh, welcome uh, to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I come to you after the winter meetings, and wow, I have to tell you, that was by far, and it had nothing to do with the Yankees acquiring Juan Soto, because that was what the whole meetings was about. Yeah, you had Eduardo Rodriguez at the end, but I have never in my life, and if you want to just say, okay, the marketing part of the meetings, which has been about 15 years old, where they started turning to kind of a, a marketing thing, but probably before that, I've never seen such a blah meetings without any kind of real news coming out, and even real excitement about anticipation about somebody signing, oh, let's keep refreshing, it's close, it's close. It really is a situation with both Otani and Yamamoto stalling the market where, and you heard David Stearns as we came into this uh, program, it's a lot of conversations laying the foundation and and see uh, where this is going to go. And, you know, Yamamoto is going to be the focus, especially for the Mets, and we're going to get into him on Sunday. I I promise you that. This is not the only show I'm going to do this week. We have a show planned on Sunday. It's going to be more focused on Yamamoto. I think he's coming to the U.S. to meet with the Yankees on Monday. Mets already went out to Japan. So we'll really hone in over the next 48 to 72 hours on Yamamoto because that's heating up, even though it looks like we're maybe even a couple of weeks away from something happening there. But I I told you, and I told you guys at the beginning of the winter that this offseason was going to be tricky. David Stearns took over. On October 1st, he needed to hire a manager. That was his own doing, but he needed to hire a manager. He needed to build a front office. He needed to evaluate 
talent, especially a lot of young talent that came into the organization just a few weeks earlier. And we don't really talk about it because Steve Cohen is the owner, but he inherited a $260 million, $261 million payroll that includes about $50 million of dead money with Verlander and Scherzer that they had to pay down to get the prospects in order to move those two contracts. And when I saw at the GM meetings Cashman's rant that went viral, and I saw how the media was poking the Yankee bear a lot, imploring them exercise their muscle, because the media likes having the Yankees in the mix. And, and look, the Yankees aren't dumb. They looked at their fan base. Their fan base has become apathetic. We talked about it. And I said, you know, they're going to come back with a vengeance. They're going to be strong suitors for if the you know the Mets were in Otani. We don't think they are. Uh, if they, you know, obviously they're going after Yamamoto with the Mets. A Soto trade if the Mets were somewhat interested. We knew that the Yankees would be there. And as we went into this winter meetings, that I think it would be bottled up, the transaction log, like it is to this point? No, but right now, like I said, it's the winter of Otani and the winter actually of Otani and Yamamoto, the winter of the Far East, they are holding the market in a way I've never seen before. I mean, outside of Soto, nothing happened. So you now have a situation where the fan base feels jobbed. And Cohen came in, Cohen came in, uh, what, November of 2020, and he came into a situation where, over the course of the first three years of his ownership, he had a schizophrenic, chaotic, piecemealing way of building his front office. And he tried to market this team. He tried to win now while building for the future. Tried to win now while he built bottom up, something that wasn't what he wanted, but he had to do for a variety of reasons because he couldn't either interview the right person or couldn't find the right person. And now he found who many in the industry, actually everybody in the industry believes is the right person and is in a situation where he could do what he probably should have done three years ago. And we knew that this would be painful because Mets fans have had a lot of pain. They they had an ownership group that was broke going into Cohen that at times was duplicitous, I think, in the way they managed their interactions with their intent of how they were going about their business. I don't think that they were always very honest or allowed their front office personnel to be honest. And you've been living in an, in, in as a generation of Mets fans that are younger than me. I'm in my mid-40s that have lived under Yankee hard rule where they've seen the Yankees win a championship or if you're even going further back, they've seen the Yankees win five championships going back to 96, take over the city, leverage a brand, and, and really establish themselves, forget about money, from a standpoint of desirability, media attention, uh, everything that you would want as a ball player, if you want this market, they have. They have. And I think when Cohen came in, a lot of you thought it was over and it was ending. And, and it was definitely the gap was closing. And the one thing that Cohen took away from the Yankees, it's almost cutting Samson's hair was that he could outbid them. He could play with them financially. They no longer had the financial might. And believe me, Yankee fans know that, and that's why they're 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 acting the way they're acting on social media about the Soto trade and and kind of poking at the Mets and saying, "See, I told you same old Mets and things like that." But and I knew there would be anger. 
and I and I, I predicted this. If you go back to some of the early shows of this offseason, I said, this is going to get tough. Stearns is coming in. He's got a big job. He's got to start building this the right way. They're going to compete, but it's not going to be a, a roster that's complete day one. It's going to be more of that innocent climb roster. It's going to be more of him finding out what he's got. Now, the only way to get around that and mitigate that is to blow the whole thing up, go crazy again on spending on free agents, which Epler did, and continue this cycle, which is not what Cohen has said publicly. He has said in press conference he doesn't want that, but he doesn't want to be a five-year marketing rebuild. So I wake up after the winter meetings to a couple of emails, and, and I'm going to share them with you. I'm only going to give the person's first name. I'm not going to give their last. But I, I think this is not – and what I'm reading – the reason I'm reading these two emails, because I got more than that, some good ones actually – but I think these two emails are somewhat of a synopsis of where the fan base is. So Steve writes to me, anger and embarrassment and fed up. I think Stearns isn't dedicated to the job. He's got $70 million from Cohen. Yes, according to Jill Sherman, he can reach 70 with incentives. If Stearns didn't get ridiculous money from Cohen, he never would have taken the job. You let the Yankees get Soto for peanuts and we'll get Yamamoto. Epler was flawed, but he cared a lot more about helping the team than fraud Stearns. Epler tried and was aggressive. Stearns, with his Harvard education, wants to show how smart he is by signing no names. Fans will stop showing up to games if Cohen and Stearns don't get their act together. The team is horrible right now and no way around it. I don't think they'll even win 70 games as of now. Very little talent outside of a few guys. What good is Cohen if he lets the Yankees get all the stars like the late 90s and early 2000s? The Mets signing scrap heap guys in the meanwhile. They could basically spit in our face and it wouldn't be as insulting. I have never been as outraged as I am right now. I am not alone. Many other fans I've come across feel the same way. Fans will revolt and boycott. This is Wilpon BS. I can't believe this is happening. I've never disliked an executive as much as David Stearns. Stop smiling like dummy doll and make moves. I think that's pretty funny. I laughed when I, when I first read that. I laughed. I can't take this anymore. There's one. And it didn't stop, so not. And maybe it's the same person just using a different email, possibly. So if if you're sending me multiples on just to make it, but I don't think so. So Sam, so Sam sends a an uh, an email to me after the winter meetings. Cohen and David on the clock. I've been a Cohen day one supporter, and I'm still happy he's owner. David hasn't proved a damn thing. On the other hand, neither is Cohen really record wise. The Yankees are starting to take over the city once again. They didn't even have to give a Volpe or Jason the stud outfielder. Mets couldn't even pro- try to get Soto? Question mark, of course. The front office is trolling by signing terrible relievers to minor league deals. They even tried to get Eric blank Fetty, but got outbid. This is not a cruel, this is a terrible nightmare. Never in my wildest dreams could I picture this drastic of an offseason of Mets versus Yankees. The biggest problem is the Mets having a terrible offseason and not making their team better. Don't even mention the playoffs. They are nowhere close. This team isn't good at all. The horrible reality is Steve and David don't even seem to care. So, look, I I don't disagree with a lot of what these two individuals have said. The Mets are not a playoff team as of today on December 8th. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. They're not. Here's the bad news. They aren't a playoff team. But today's December 8th. Tomorrow's December 9th. And then Sunday's December 10th. I know you know that. There's no games. And guess what? Two weeks from now, there's no games. And 30 days from now, there's no games. And 60 days from now, there's no games. And 90 days from now, yeah, we'll be in spring training, but they won't count. So, look, you get the point. There's a lot of offseason left. And let's face it, going back to what I said, Otani and Yamamoto are blocking this thing up. We know that. 
Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and sugarcoat any of that anger because I understand it. I knew it was coming. It's coming quicker than I thought. And a combination of frustration over finally getting the owner that you want and getting the executive that you've pined for and having the Yankees, if it was anybody else got Soto, I don't think it would be as bad. Because it's the Yankees, because you're competing for Yamamoto with the Yankees, this is hard for Mets fans. This brings up a lot of years and years of PTSD. And it's a end of the pool we've, they've never been in. It's an end of the pool the Mets as an organization have never been in. And it's a hard end of the pool to compete and win at. It is. And I told you this and I, and I hate to be, I told you so. Go back and listen all these press conferences, all these shows leading up to here. I told you we were going to be where we we're going to be as 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 fans, as pundits, as those who cover the team and watch the team. I told you that. And it's not going to be comfortable, but this is the world you're in if you're playing in the deep end of the pool. And if it's not the Yankees in the future, it might be Toronto. It might be the Red Sox you're competing with. There's always going to be somebody, another team, the Dodgers, that has as much money but has something else to offer, whether it's success, whether it's geography, whether it's where they are in this cycle of winning. You know, Not everybody's going to buy Steve Cohen's sales pitch. But what makes me laugh as I read those emails from fans who are judging an executive who has not even been here 90 days. So if he was a regular employee like you or I, right? And he was hired, he would be on his 90-day probation. I think some of you guys would have fired him. Yep, I don't have to pay your contract because I think in, at least in New York, you have like this 90-day period where you can just get rid of somebody and you don't have to do any kind of crazy HR stuff. So <laughs> I'm making you laugh probably for those who, who are in who are the, uh, the working world here. Oh, you're in the working world. I don't know how many of you know the HR rules, but I'm like, okay, so Stearns is on his 90-day probation. I just had two fans fire him before he even made it out of his 90-day probation. But for years, going back to when Sandy got sick and left, you guys asked for a smart front office. You wanted a young executive who was built on analytics and, and was good at not just going out and spending money and finding free agents, but finding value and doing more with less like Tampa does. Like sometimes how the, 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 the Dodgers do things. That's what you guys want. I mean, the Dodgers don't just sign big free agents. They find value. Uh, you know, how Houston built their organization at times. Uh, you, you, you now have it. And the old, be careful what you wish for, you might just get it, is here with you. Mets fans got used to winning the winter because they won Scherzer. They won Verlander. They had Black Friday when Epler took over where he just went out and plug gaps, corner outfielder, third base, corner right fielder. Then you have, and really, a lot of this went to the next level. Even though that deal fell apart, and the fans forgave the Mets because it was based on medicals, and you're already seeing with the plantar fasciitis how, how bad those medicals were. But he was already having issues with a long-term deal, but Carlos Correa and the Correa deal really got Mets fans to the point where, hey, we could buy anybody we want. And they can. But... There is a punishment for that in baseball with a tax of nearly 100%. And it's not sustainable. And it's at a point where if you're going to do that, you really have to be good at building up your farm system. Now, you look at the Mets, uh, you know, the bill has come home to do here. Stearns came in with a bill that came due. 
five heads of player development in five years. The lack of player development has hurt them. Uh, you, you started out, Cohen had to do this to get approved. You had an over-the-hill Alderson running the show. He wasn't planning on being here long. He made the uh, Jared Porter and Scott hires. They turned out to be disasters. I think Scott might have been a halfway decent GM. He just he got caught up in in something out, out off the field, a bad incident that just politically he could never come back from. All of them were trying to win now and develop. Epler came in on the fly in the middle of a lockout. And I, I, and I said this about the appreciation for Epler, and I think that you saw some of that with the email that came from, from that fan. That he cared, he tried, he was even saddled apparently with the manager he didn't even want, which was Buck. So you brought Buck and Epler in and said, okay, we could win now, we can build something exciting that the fans will like while we're doing the other stuff. But it's hard. And especially when you don't have, and you're building bottom up with manager, GM, and and no real architect, which would be the president of baseball operations title and job. And without that and doing that, and they were actually going to shove Epler into that with Stearns, and it sounds like Stearns was okay with it, but um, the Mets have to stabilize. And they can't sustain winning like they were doing things the first two to three years. What you're seeing now, which is taking a step back to evaluate and reset was what should have been done from day one. But you couldn't. You couldn't do that as Cohen coming in with this new toy, with the reputation of being a savior, with not even really knowing the sport, and wipe away from a marketing perspective the Wilpon stench and do it the team-building way. Now, this is not going to be a five-year marketing rebuild like the Pirates, like what Houston did, or even what Chicago did. I think you're just going to look at a team right now we're rebuilding for this Mets organization right now. And it could get uglier if a lot of the kids turn up negative. So keep that in the back of your mind. But what they're really just trying to do is take a step back, be opportunistic about who they sign, you know, work around the fringes. They have their hearts focused on one big fish, Yamamoto. And it sounds like they have a plan B if that goes bad to still be competitive while maintaining some long-term payroll flexibility because there are other free agents that they're going to want in the future. And by the way, they got a guy at first base that they probably are going to have to sign to a $30 million a year contract. So if they did this, if they did this year one, the anger would be far worse than anything you see now. Right now, it's temporary anger for what I believe as you go and look forward. Um, when you go and look forward, it won't be as bad as as you think. Because you have to evaluate Stearns over a 12 to 36 month period. You have to see the direction and how things are going. This is not about scrap heapy relievers being signed because he's going to do that every offseason. This isn't about not getting Soto. There's going to be plenty of players traded that don't make sense that aren't a fit for the Mets. This isn't about prospect hugging. You can't hug prospects when you don't know what the hell you have. He doesn't anyway. He just brought in, uh, you know, Andy Green for player development, Chris Gross out of Houston to help run the draft and build the the farm system. Like, these guys are here five freaking minutes. And if you make a decision on your organization in the first five minutes, that's the extent of what the Yankees did with Soto, you might make a bad move. Now, before I get into Soto and why, and I advocate if you're – 
those who sign up for the newsletter. I put together a Soto proposal a couple of weeks ago. I'll talk about it now because it's, it's stale. So there's no disadvantage to get into the details for those who are paid subscribers. But the Mets really couldn't provide what the Yankees provided. So we'll get to that in a minute. But Gelbs and Duquette and Martino met with Stearns at the winter meetings. It was on SNY Hot Stove. You guys can go to the SNY Twitter feed and you can see it for yourself. It's nothing proprietary that I am you know, coming up with. All I tell you all the time is these guys never lie to you. They tell you, for the most part, they tell you what the plan is. They're not going to give you specifics. They're not going to tell you how far down the road they are. They're not going to give you specific names of players, but they're going to tell you the plan. And right now, David Stearns, if you look at his philosophy, he looks at the roster, the 40-man roster, from a totally big picture. Every spot, he wants to maximize value. Even if that player is player number 39 or 40 and will only be in the big leagues for one freaking day for a second game of a doubleheader, he wants to make sure that there's some value there that that player could help them win that second game of the doubleheader. That's why you're seeing all these scrap heap signings like Cooper Hummel, Tyler Heineman, who I think actually could become the backup catcher, Jose Iglesias, and things like that. Uh, he's looking at value in the bullpen. He doesn't. My idea of a super bullpen with guys like Diaz and Robertson and Chapman making big money, he's not into that because just like the Dodgers, just like the Rays, he wants to find value. He wants to start to see what's out there. You guys all know uh, the Dodgers, of course. You guys probably think the Dodgers, if you were a Dodgers fan, you feel pretty good. You know, Evan Phillips, their closer, was a guy that they got off the scrap heap that had, after the pandemic season, a five-yard ray with the Orioles. He was a kerosene on the fire, a guy that nobody would have paid attention to that was pitching for a bad Orioles team. He spent a, a, a game with Tampa. They lost him. Now, it tells you there's something there when Tampa acquires you. A game with Tampa, and then they acquired him in the end of the 2021 season off of waivers, and now he's a dominant closer. A dominant closer that had a season uh, not quite like Edwin Diaz, uh, but pretty good season. And by the way, the year that D Edwin Diaz had in 2022, he wasn't too far off in terms of dominance. He wasn't their closer. He was a setup guy. That's the kind of players that's organizations that have their stuff together, that have good uh, infrastructure, have good analytics department, good scouting, good vision. Those are the kind of moves that, that teams make. Like the Dodgers who have every bit the payroll and can't afford to have every bit the payroll. Like the Mets. Look at the Rays bullpen. Look at some of the players the Rays have made. It's those hidden skill sets. These are the things that he's trying to do. And they're not headline-type moves. They're not sexy. He's talked about run prevention and defense. In his opinion, whether you have the, the, the best position players at every position or you're in the position that the Mets are, Mets are right now, they're going to try to make sure that they do the right thing on the defensive side. Crisp baseball. Because even when you have a, a, a talent deficit, Making the right play in defense will go a long, long, long way. You guys have been begging for years to give the young kids a chance. All I heard all off, all season when Buck was the manager is complaints about Danny Mendick or Vogelback start, starting and the young kids sitting. You're going to get your wish. Mauricio and Beatty are going to get a chance to stick. Alvarez is not going to have any other catcher. I think Navarez will be out of here, in my opinion. No other catcher will block him. He's the guy. 
Okay, I think Gilbert and Acuna will get a ch chance. I don't know if opening day they'll get a chance. Okay, you have a, a core of offensive players, and it, you know you don't want to put Marte in that because of health. Fine, you have a core of elite offensive players, and Alvarez may be joining them. Okay, you have some young starters. There's a lot of wide variety of debate on how good they are. Maybe most of them are mid to back end, but you have those coming up. And Stearns is trying to build up the culture with the right type of players. That's why you're seeing him bring in the Wendells and things in the world. So he's told you kind of what he's looking for. And these are not sexy things that sell during the winter meetings. These are not sexy things that light up Twitter. X. They're not sexy things that make you feel good about WFAM being on your side. These are just inside boring baseball things that have to be done. And... They're going to get done whether they happen now, Turkey Day, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year, or Valentine's Day. They're going to have to happen. And if they don't happen, you become the 2007 Mets who are short at the end of the year and can't run out a competent starter to give you five innings. The winter meetings is a trade show. That's it. It's not a date on the calendar that you have to adhere to. It's not the trade deadline. It's not the waiver period. It's not, you know, rosters have to be finalized for opening day. It's just a trade show. It's no different than a trade show that some of you guys have gone, or gals uh, listening, have gone to for your own businesses. That's all it is. Baseball, because a lot of work gets done with face-to-face -face or historically before technology, turned it into a marketing opportunity where they can market their sport in the heart of the NFL season, in the heart of the NHL season, and while the NBA is ramping up. So even though you're not playing a, a, a single game that matters or a or the sport itself is not being played during the holidays, during when, you know, it's like 30 freaking degrees outside right now here where I am. So it's, it's very cold. The grass has that frost on it. It's like the frozen tundra in Green Bay. You're still talking baseball. Now, maybe in, in uh, you know, Texas they're not. You know, the south, you know, right by the border, they're not because it's Friday Night Lights and football. But you're talking a lot of baseball. A lot of markets are talking baseball. So the Mets don't have to make a move right now. The market will dictate the moves. And right now, the market is bottled up. So I'm imploring you. I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. Those emails I read you, they're not wrong. They're a little premature. And I will tell you. Even as late as going into opening day, you are going to have some questions on this roster. I don't believe, and even if Beatty had a knockout spring and played gold glove defense, you think I'm going to tell you at the beginning of the season, he's here, he's arrived, he's ready. Doesn't mean, what happens in Port St. Lucie in the Grapefruit League means nothing. How many people have won batting titles? Look up a name, look up a, a player's name when you have a chance. And as we get closer to spring training, I might do something about this because this is fun. Look up a name called Darren Reed. Darren Reed, come back and tell me. Come back and tell me. Darren Reed, great spring training player. Great spring training player. So I'm just asking you guys, let's not fire David Stearns on the 90-day probation period. And also remember what I told you this was going to be like. This is going to be hard. And I warned you that we were going down this rabbit hole and the Yankees were going to make it a lot hotter this is what needed to be done with this organization since Cohen took over
He now has three years of a sample size. He's shown you that he'll spend. He'll show you that he'll do what it takes to win, but he needs a complete organization. This organization has to start producing something out of the minor league system. They have to produce even back into the rotation starters, serviceable bullpen arms, a component offensive piece like a Marcana type. They can't even do that. They haven't been able to do that. They've had to completely build their roster up until when Alvarez started to contribute at catch at the catching position, completely through the outside of the organization. I mean, yeah, they have their homegrown Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, but those guys have been coming up the pipeline well before uh, Stearns was even thought of as a, an option to be president of baseball operations. So you, what you're seeing now is what should have happened. And it's, it's and I, look, I'll be the first to rant and rave with you. If I come here on Valentine's Day and Stearns has done nothing but give you Jorge Lopez and Michael Tonkin and... You know, they miss out on Yamamoto, and what they're doing is they're signing more Luis Severino expensive lottery tickets. I'll be the first to say, okay, they clearly are taking a step back. And 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 Stearns will have to answer some questions because what you have now, you're right, guys. What's now is not a playoff team. I never said it was. I think there's some good – it's like a house that he came in. He tore a lot of stuff down, and you're like, hey, where's the bathroom? guy? Hey, David, where's the bathroom? Well, I'm working on it. Well, where, what am I going to do? How am I – you know – Come on, man! I want to. I want to relax. I want to. I want to enjoy my house. I want to have. I want to have a holiday th- meal. What about when uh, the the nice weather comes? I want to have a barbecue. Well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So I really implore you. I implore you a couple things. I, I implore you to listen to that SMY interview with Gelbs, uh, Martino, and Duquette. I implore you to sign up for the newsletter, even to take a free trial. I, you know, take. I'm not doing that just to to make a quick buck. I'm telling you, you know, we dive into these kind of things. If you're going to enjoy this team, if you're going to enjoy this team, you got to understand what they're doing, why they're doing, and where they're going. I do not believe for a minute Steve Cohen is just taking this team now as a way to build a park around. He, he wants that stuff. He wants the casino. He wants the park. He wants it to be bigger than just baseball. That's the right thing to do if you're actually going to have a business here, not just win a championship. Have a business. I don't believe that that's what he that that's what he's all about. I don't believe David Stearns is the front office executive of a player that gets a big contract and decides to sit back and retire. His reputation is on the line. He will forever be tarnished if he comes here and and doesn't at least show that he built a contender. Maybe not win a championship, a contender. If you're sitting around in baseball purgatory like you were the first four years of the Alderson regime, like Stearns, without any money to spend, where all he's doing is what he knew what to do in Milwaukee is around the edges because that's what he's comfortable with and he's not comfortable in selling or competing or ripping up the farm system and going for it or going after big free agents. If he does that, you know, we're 36 months in and we're still talking the talk we're talking today – then we have a reason to get angry. And I will save those emails, and I'm sure there'll be a dozen more saying some of the similar things. But the bill is due. The Mets have to pay down the credit card debt. And the good news is it's not a good, it's a, it's, it's a mess, but it's short-term. And it's a short-term, you know, you have one, one winter meetings where the Yankees shine with Soto, and that hurts, but let's see where the Yankees are. You know, the Yankees have enough issues of their own. They have pitching depth issues. 
You don't one player doesn't take you from the twenty fifth offensive team to the top five. It doesn't. They have plenty of question marks up and down that lineup. Okay, maybe they're in a better place than the Mets because they got better pitching and they got a better pipeline of, of young players. And that's where I'm going to go to wrap up here. Because you all wanted the Mets to try on Soto. And we don't know what they did or they didn't. And I advocated, if you go back to the Talking Mets Beyond the Mic newsletter, if you go back to, oh, about a month ago, one of the early pieces I had is, I thought it was important for Stearns to do his due diligence and try to see what's there with Soto. However, I was not in favor of a Soto deal if there wasn't a 72-hour window, uh, 72 window to extend him. Because I, I believe that's important. They did it with Santana when they traded Santana. At that point, they were giving away with Carlos Gomez and 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 uh, Philip Umber and some of the, the young players they gave up in that deal, which was they basically stole Santana. But those were their top prospects. And those guys had some cachet. They were not nearly as good as what I believe the Yankees or the Red Sox could have given history is history. We're not going to get into that now. But that would that was a painful deal in some ways for the Mets. So the Yankees, you know, and forget about Higashioka. Uh, uh, I don't even know how to say his name. Kyle Higashioka. Forget about the catcher who's their version of Thomas of Tomas Nito. When you look at Michael King and Drew Thorpe and Vasquez and Brito, those four pitchers, first of all, the Mets don't have a Michael King type to offer the Yankees. I know he's 28. I know he was a nobody, no name. He was basically a bullpen arm. But I think, and I'll go back to the box score. I remember him pitching against the Yankees, uh, against the Mets a couple of years ago, I think in 2021, uh, in that uh, doubleheader they had on the 4th of July. And I think he came in uh, mid-game. And I remember, like, wow, who's this guy? He looked good. I mean, so I've known the guy had some stuff. Okay, did I think he's an elite starter like he showed at the end of the year? We'll see. Padres seem to think. Drew Thorpe is a top five prospect in the Yankees system who everybody raves about having top of the rotation potential. I'm not sure the Mets starters that they have, the Hamels, uh, the Vazels, the Scots, the Stewarts, Tidwell. I mean, I don't know if they profile. At least a lot of people don't feel they profile like Thorpe. And then you look at Brito and Vasquez, maybe they fall more, more into what the Mets can offer in terms of you know, mid-teens, good arms, back-of-the-rotation arms, maybe a swing in the bullpen type of arms. The Mets have those two kind of guys, but they don't have the king. I mean, because Tyler McGill is not Michael King. David Peterson is not Michael King. They don't have that guy. You're not going to get you're not gonna get Soto for Lucchese or Buto. Buto's not that guy. Mets don't have that guy. And even if they, the Padres, you know, got drunk, or A.J. Perla got drunk and said, let me just gift them to the Mets for, you know, back in the rotation profile starters. Mets can't give up Hamill, Tidwell, Vazel, Scott in a deal for Soto as a rental. They can't do it. They just can't do it. Now, I propose Acuna and maybe giving them a lottery ticket like Ryan Clifford and giving them one of those pitchers, maybe like a Tidwell because a lot of a lot of uh, pundits think he he's the, the best of the best. That's that's not with the the focus of pitching that the that Prella wanted with the Padres. That's not as good of a deal for them. You know, Prella's probably saying it's hard to find pitching. It's hard to develop pitching. I can buy offense, and sometimes offense is cheaper. It's getting expensive, but it's cheaper. But I, it's hard to buy pitching, and that's why he got it. And that's the lesson. And that's where the Mets have to go. And 
you might not want to hear this because I take shots at the Yankees on social media. It's fun. It's so fun because it's the media is so in the bag for them. The, the narrative and the and the stuffiness that is per- perpetuated is so funny sometimes. The way that Cashman is is treated, you know, and for one time Cashman gets criticized back at the GM meetings and he blew up. It's like you've never been criticized in thirty freaking years here, and you should have been criticized in the past. And the first time the Heat really got turned up and the media turned on you, your marketing team turned on you. You flip out. But back in 1995, when the Yankees were floundering after they had that great run under Buck uh, in the strike season. I'm going to wrap up here. The Yankees were known as a team under George Steinbrenner that would never win. You know, because they, they they didn't really develop prospects. They they could They had no patience. You didn't, you didn't know about Jeter or Posada. Bernie Williams was still emerging at that time. There was no Robinson Cano. You know, you, you had none you had none of that. There was no core four. You know, Pettit was you know, who's Andy Pettit? Andy Pettit might as well be Drew Thorpe or Michael King at that point. Um, you know, he was just emerging type of deal. And then the following year, everything kind of came together with the offseason moves they made and the kids that came up like Jeter and they won a World Series. And George had this brand that for all the time from 1962 going all the way to 1995, even when the Mets had their bad period in the 70s and the Yankees won a couple of titles, it still really was a New York baseball town. The Yankees, uh, the Mets always had good attendance after, especially after 1969. And they were the first team to draw 3 million fans after 86. And all the things that the Mets built and could have leveraged after their nice run, disappointing, albeit nice run in the 80s, the Mets gave away with bad decisions. You know, when George was going out and and entering the free agent market, the Mets could have done that to enhance their championship team. They, They participated in collusion in a big way. Now, George did too, but not to the extent the Mets did. Mets didn't sign a free agent until 1990. They signed Mike Cubbage. Yeah, they traded for George Forster. That was a trade. And then they signed Vince Coleman. And then they got involved in the free agent market. And it was rocky for a while. And it's been rocky for them. George took the history, the pinstripes, Babe Ruth, Mantle, Maris, all the baseball royalty that the Yankees built 100 years ago, literally. And he's leveraged it. And he spent he didn't just accept his first World Series. He doubled down. He tripled down. He got to the point where sometimes their payrolls were bloated and inefficient in a way that the Mets payroll in some places is bloated and efficient. But he continued to to challenge his office, front office, his organization, to find the best at every juncture. And they market the absolute bejesus out of their prospects. Mets don't. Mets don't have anybody in the media preaching about Estevan Floriel and why he should be uh, the headliner in a Jacob deGrom deal like they did or a Syndergaard deal like they did five years ago. And by the way, what the Mets are doing, the Yankees did a couple of times when they had the Sanchez and Judges came up and the young kids, they took a step back. Now, they're able to do that because of their history. They got five titles in the last two decades, three decades. They have the 27 Yankees. They have the pinstripes. They have the media giving them the benefit of the doubt. The Mets have all this off-the-field nonsense. Carlos Beltran just recently talked about it in a a Spanish-speaking interview about how much different it was for him playing for the Mets and Yankees, especially during a time where off-the-field gossip just off the charts overtook the organization and led to bad moves. Now, if you're not in the Steve Cohen, David Stearns area, you know what happens this week when Soto 
uh, deal goes down and the Mets are jammed up with Yamamoto, who they would pretend to be in on, but never have really a shot to be in on Yamamoto if, if it was back in the, the days of the Wilpons, they'd make a move to make a move. They'd sign a player to a four-year deal that give you a headline here on December 8th, make you feel good, rationalize. And I'm not saying they won't sign a player like that. They they probably will. But they would make that their offseason. They'd, they'd time it when it was appropriate to offset the Soto news. And by the time you got to Memorial Day, you'd be like, this team stinks. This guy stinks. Why did they spend all this money on this guy? Why did they jump when they could have just waited? It's now about measuring twice, cutting once. And you have to trust that they brought in a guy that the entire league thinks is the right move. So Stearns told you he's focused on run prevention. He's focused on pitching. They have a big couple of weeks up. You know, I don't think it's going to come down to money with Yamamoto. I think the Mets will offer him the most money. I think it's whether he wants to play here. And right now, the Mets have a lot of work to make themselves a destination. They have some things to offer Yamamoto. They have Senga, how they developed a Japanese pitcher that was coming in with a new ball, the culture, the, the rotation being five instead of six. Uh, they But they don't have Matsui. They don't have Hideki Matsui. They don't have Tanaka's history, a Kuroda's history, or the international brand that the Yankees are, or the championships and the banners and Yankee Stadium and Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle. They don't have that. What they can offer is a commitment from an owner who has shown he's willing to spend, but has not yet proven that he can have a sustainable winning team under his belt. You have a top executive that has a history of success and having consistently competitive teams in the playoffs in a small market. And you have a, a passionate, hungry, fan base the fact that i got those two emails just hours in the middle of the night when the winter meetings was ending tells you how hungry this fan base is and how beautiful it's going to be when this thing turns around and i'm not here to rationalize and tell you that it's all okay because it's not it's not okay the mets are in a pickle this is a tough pickle that stearns took over but you knew that we knew that when things went south last year and they couldn't leverage that 101-win campaign and continue with the veterans to compete while they're building up the back end, I said, well, you know, they're going to have to do the hard thing. And this could be much harder. Cohen could have said, look, we're going to tear this sucker down. No Pete, no McNeil, no Nimmo. Out, out, out. Lindor, let's sell them off. Let's get it down to nothing. Let's be Oakland for three, four years. Let's be at the top of the draft. Which now at the lottery, who knows if that makes it doesn't make sense. That was the point. Let's just save money. Let me work on my casino. And I'll see you in 2029. That's our window. He could sell that. And there'll be people in the media. They would buy it. And they'd tell you why you're crazy if you're not supporting it. they take shots at him the whole time. Backhanded shots. But they would support it. They'd, they'd mark, Depending on what the click they need, they'd, they'd go left or right, center, front, up, down. We know how it goes. That's a business. I mean, you know, I could we could complain about it like I do. But we know as long as you know what the business model is, then you're then you should be smart enough to see through it. The problem is it's unfair for you as a fan to have to do so much mental Django to know what's real, what's fake, and what's agenda driven. I I find it hard. I'm here to do it for you and try to do it for you. I'm sure you could do it for yourself, but why should you? This is supposed to be fun. So that's where you're at. That's the state of the union post winter meetings. Forget Soto. The Mets could not meet that package. 
nor would they, if they could meet a lesser package, can they do it for a rental. Now, you could say they could sign them. It's still a risk. And if Soto, and, for, and one last thing before we wrap up. I know I, I went a little over here. If Soto doesn't like the Yankees in New York, it ain't because he's going to come here. He don't like New York, he's out of here. I don't think there's any chance they sign Soto. And the Yankees, and, and look, you know, never say never. Because there's a lot of off-season here, and they have Yamamoto who might get $35 million a year, and Pete who's going to get $30 million. So that Verlander Scherzer money gets sucked up real quick. But um, I, I, I forget about him signing with the Mets. If he's not happy in, with the Yankees, I don't think it's going to be let me go stay in the same market with the other team. He's not. So, all right. Uh, so what's next? We'll be back on Sunday. I got a great show for you. We're going to be all in on Sunday on Yamamoto. It's going to be Yamamoto uh, rumors. Our friend Michael Marino, uh, who's on X, who did a great job, who's doing a great work with his sources. Young, up-and-coming baseball analyst. I love talking to him. He's going to be on the show. Uh, right now he is. Hopefully he doesn't change his mind, but I scheduled him to be on the show. If things change, of course, you'll know on X. Um, you can follow me at Mike Silva Media. And, you know, away we go there. So check out Michael Marino and I talking about Yamamoto because that's where th- the whole offseason is blocked until Otani and Yamamoto get off the board. Otani sounds like he's close. Yamamoto sounds like he's getting there. But we may we may not really see the offseason take off until Christmas and New Year, which is a totally different situation than what we expected and what we've seen. And it's one of the criticisms of the offseason of MLB is that it's so long and drags. It's not like the NBA where it's like, okay, two weeks, 4th of July, every, all these moves, excitement, excitement, oh, let's go take a break. It's not like that. And remember, you know, the whole winter meetings and you got to do things by the winter meetings, that's an old school mindset. These new age executives don't care about that stuff. They're about the, the, the process. You know, December 5th, winter meetings, they don't feel pressure to do things on that day. That's that's a, a, a arbitrary date. They're not hanging out at the bar trading Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio. That, those days are over. Those days are over. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in on this chilly New York Friday morning. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmentspodcast.com. You can get me on X at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And you can check me out at the Beyond the Mic newsletter, Substack.com at TalkingMets. No G. Check it out. Free trials. You're going to love it. And I want to welcome the, I want to thank, not welcome, I want to thank the good folks of the Fansided Podcasting Network for supporting the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll see you Sunday. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Until then, take care, everybody.